God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> the first three songs today in particular actually expressed just about everything I had to say in the notes, so I'm tempted to just have us re-sing those and skip the sermon, but we will attend to this. It's an incredible passage, so let me pray for us. Father, I ask that this word of comfort, of refuge, of help, the fact that you are our fortress and that you are in our midst helping us. I pray that this would overwhelm our hearts, especially when the trials of this life threaten to overwhelm us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In 2010, Liz and I were enjoying the vacation home of some friends in uh, the island of St. Martin's. And we were having a grand time. In fact, it was really great because there was, now remember 2010, we had no Wi-Fi there. It just wasn't working with our flip uh, phones. <laughs> and the landline in the house did not work, not once. And we thought, well, we'll take advantage of this. We'll swim, we'll have fun, we'll sit out in the sun, we'll pray, we'll read, we'll go out to restaurants. So one day, uh, we were out to lunch and we were asked by the waitress at that restaurant, so are you ready for the hurricane? <laughs> and we looked at her. Uh, we had no television, by the way, at the house, no radio. And we said, what hurricane? <laughs> so we drove back to our friend's house uh, through the gate, the security gate, and up the street. It was actually the last house up on a cliff overlooking the entire bay where the cruise ships come in. And we saw one by one everyone in each house below us boarding up every single window and driving away. And we thought, where are they going? Are we supposed to go with them? Well, in the next few hours, 
we realized that we were stranded alone on the street at the end of this cliff. And then the winds and the rains came. At its peak, Hurricane Earl blew at 135 miles per hour. Uh, we're Southern Californians. We're used to the Santa Anas. They're nothing like this. Electricity on the island went out, and um, the generator at our property kept dying. I kept going out and pulling the cord. It would start up, and then it would die again. And the property manager just happened to flee to Venezuela <laughs> to get rid of or to get away from the storm. So we were, we were stranded there. And we spent literally two days in the sweltering heat, no fans, no air conditioning, mopping up gallons and gallons and gallons, hundreds of gallons of water that flooded under this massive sliding glass door in the master bedroom that overlooked the bay. Um, as the windows were shaking violently, we kept wondering, are they going to explode? Now, this wasn't the end of it. Upstairs, the bathroom started to leak, uh, the shower started to drip, water came down, and then eventually globs of cement <laughs> started to reach down or come down into the uh, shower floor, and then the whole ceiling collapsed. And you could see the sky. Now, none of this was our fault, I promise you. And if you would like to lend us your vacation home, we promise we, will, we won't crash it. We'll leave it in good condition. Now, this all came to mind as I read Psalm 46 this week, again. Because what seemed like uh, an impenetrable Caribbean fortress, a beautiful home, revealed up to us its insecurity, its vulnerability, making us wonder in those moments, in that storm, are we safe in this world? Now, actually, that was more me. Liz just thought it was all a fun adventure. <laughs> But the waters roar and foam and the seas rise. The mountains tremble. And when this happens, it all tempts our hearts to shake, friends. And yet, you know, this is not simply recording material for the Weather Channel. It is about life and the storms that bear down on us. The earth shakes when a once stable job is no longer available to us, and you're told we're downsizing, we're sorry. Families rattle apart and marriages crumble sometimes, even in the church. The sudden loss of a family member or a friend can cause our hearts to tremble. Just this week, and it was prayed today in the pastoral prayer, uh, we lost probably our oldest member in this church, which brought her daughter a kind of quiet, reflective grief. And another dear member of our church just lost his father as well this week. And so in these situations, we must learn radical trust in the face of minor but also overwhelming threats that come at us. So we're going to walk through this passage in this way. In verses 1 to 3, we will see that God is our refuge. In verses 4 to 6, we will see that God dwells in His city. And in verses 7, uh, the, the latter verses, we will see that God reigns over the earth. 
First, God is the refuge in the storm. God is our refuge and strength, the writer says, a very present help in trouble. Now, it, it causes us to ask, what might have been the context that, that led the writer to say this? Well, certainly it's written in a general way. It can speak to all of our trials, the trials of, of the people of God in Israel and ours. But it could be that there were specific historical situations that were being contemplated here when the psalmist wrote. One in particular is reflected in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37. King Hezekiah in the south, that is the two southern kingdoms in the south, once the ten northern tribes had been overtaken by Assyria and devastated and its people deported, the people in the south remained. And King Hezekiah was told that Assyria, this terrible nation, with, with intense military power, who had a particular awful taste for the Jews, like so many nations have. And King Hezekiah is told that King Sennacherib of Assyria is approaching Jerusalem. And so what does Hezekiah do? We're told in Isaiah 7, uh, 37 that he goes up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out. What a beautiful image. It's the report of his, his scouts. And he spreads this out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. We're told in Isaiah 37, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib, and this was part of the report, has sent to ridicule the living God. And then we are told in the another report or angle on this story in 2 Kings 19 that when Hezekiah prayed, we're told, therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow into the city, for I will defend the city to save it, to save Jerusalem. And then we're told that that night an angel, one angel of the Lord, was sent to kill, to bring an end to 185,000 Assyrian men in their camp. And so, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. Now, what's fascinating about this account? is if you have been to London and, to the Brit and the British Museum there, you may have seen Sennacherib's, basically it's a cylinder where he recorded his exploits and his victories. And there's one there called the Taylor Prism. I've seen it. And what's interesting is, is Sennacherib is a boastful man. He, he actually did talk about Hezekiah paying tribute and these different things, and he's, he's arrogant and he's you know, talking about his exploits. But scholars and archaeologists note that Sennacherib, in all of his, of his talk about coming against Israel, he never, ever mentions that Jerusalem fell. He goes silent. 
You see, taking Hezekiah with him would have been his crowning achievement, but there's a kind of shouting silence. And that silence speaks to the truth that God sent an angel answering Hezekiah's prayer. And why do we say all this? Because this is not only for their historical situation, but for your present situation, friends. God will answer your prayers, albeit not quite as dramatically as he did Hezekiah's prayer, though he may, but he will answer truly and faithfully because he is your fortress and your ever-present help in trouble. You see, the Lord is our, our shelter, the one who will not fall down or fall apart. We run into that stronghold when we are struggling. And yet, meanwhile, the flimsy fortresses of this world that we so often trust, that, that our culture so often flees into, those will fail us, and we have to be reminded of that. Over the past three years, what have been shaky or unstable shelters or fortresses? Well, here's one. To some degree, we could say it's experts in science. Now, we appreciate these things, certainly, and they have brought us so much help, uh, help as we face health challenges, as we've faced COVID and so forth. But some months ago, a, a secular journalist named David Leonhardt wrote in the New York Times this, and I thought it was very interesting as we think of our passage. Many people have come to believe that expert opinion is an omniscient force, right? An all-knowing, all-powerful force. That's the assumption, he says, behind the phrase, follow the science, and the phrase, what the science says. And certainly this man believes in science. He goes on to say, it imagines science almost as a god. Science with a capital S, who could solve our dilemmas if we only listened. Boy, that, that's an insightful statement. You see, he's right. We tend to take the gifts of creation and we capitalize them into a kind of false creator. Science with a capital S, family and fitness with a capital F, house with a capital H, sports, career, romance. We do it with these things. We treat them as shelters that will cover us in all storms, but they don't, and they're not built for that. But if we would only listen instead to God, if we would only listen to the psalmist who says things like, though the freeways we drive are full of danger, we see so many brutal accidents on El Toro where we live all the time, and it's startling. And though the insecure economy could implode, we will not give way because Christ is our hope and stay, as the hymn says. Christ is our only hope and stay. He is the only one who is impregnable and immovable. And I've had to remind myself of that truth this week. Friends, he is your ever-present help, no matter what trouble you are facing. But notice 
the psalmist deals not only with the sense of outside shelter, but inward strength. God empowers us as we trust in Him. And note that only those who can say the Lord is the strength of my life can say, therefore, of whom or what shall I be afraid? And friends, sometimes we need to say these things out loud to ourselves. And in fact, when we're in here in worship, we are singing these truths to each other, to the Lord, and to our own hearts, sometimes defiantly, with joy, saying, listen to what you're saying, O soul. Sometimes we need to say these things in the midst of doubt, asking the Spirit to plant these truths deep within our hearts, to burrow them into our minds. Martin Luther, we sang his hymn today, he, he proclaimed to the church and to the world that what the Bible teaches is that we are saved by grace alone and not by our works. We can't earn it. And that brought wrath down on him, the wrath of man. And so in those threats, during those onslaughts, he penned the words to bolster his heart and ours, and we've sung them already, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never, ever failing. And so because of God, our refuge, friends, we can stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom, when you're going in for your medical exam, when you're facing a strained relationship, when you're looking at what's happening to your portfolio and, going, portfolio and saying, oh my, <laughs> we can stand at the cliff edge of loss and we can know that not even sin, Satan, or death can crush us because God is our refuge. He is our refuge. And so now we turn to verses 4 to 7 and we see that God is dwelling in his city. Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of her, in, of her. God has come close to us. This is the Christmas truth in August. <laughs> God with us, Emmanuel, strong and powerful, yes, but exceedingly personal and close and tender. He is solid and unshakable fortifying his city with his presence. In the Psalms, it is Zion. But this also can be arced over to Revelation, where we see the heavenly Zion and God dwelling at the end of Revelation in the midst of his people, telling us it's all okay now. Wiping away our tears. The tears that we cry when loved ones die. God is in the midst of his people in his city. And I want you to notice, this is really the most striking thing to me this week, that this imagery in verses 1 to 3 of violent waters, sorry to you who love the ocean, <laughs> but the seas often in the scripture represent chaos and uncertainty and threat and death. But notice the imagery how it transforms immediately in verse 4 from a chaotic sea to a river, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The river from which flows freshness, refreshment, beauty, and gladness. 
Liz and I were in Oregon, I mentioned last week, a few weeks ago um, for a wedding uh, of a family, a, a woman, young woman who grew up a little bit in this church. And uh, we were in Portland. We kind of saw Portland. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute. I think the Columbia Gorge is kind of nearby. <laughs> so I looked it up. And sure enough, it was about 45 minutes away. And we're really glad we drove up there. It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, the Multnomah Falls, and, and we hiked up that little trail there. And, and you can watch, with all these tourists, the waterfall uh, barreling over the cliff as it sprays people in the hot summer uh, afternoon, and it provided refreshment from the heat. And Liz and I said, aren't we glad we made this trek? Rivers of gladness. Now think of this imagery and bring it forward to the New Testament, where Jesus says in John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of our hearts, though we are otherwise at times low and anxious and even depressed, out of us flows rivers of living joy. Are you opening your hearts to the floodgates of Christ's mercy and strength? Many of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed when she was 17 in a diving accident. And she just uh, wrote on her blog last month about how much she was looking forward to heading up, and I assume she's already been up there, uh, to Lake Mary, near Mammoth and the High Sierras. And she talked about her excitement of, of being wheeled out and right to the edge there of the creek, of the river that flows um, up in that area. And this is what she wrote, how easy it is, especially with my disability, she's a paraplegic, actually she's a quadriplegic, to let uh, the streams of gladness dry up to a trickle. And then she said, when my life begins to lack the rushing, rushing surge of God's joy, that's my cue to take all my doubts, all my discouragements to the Lord Jesus, where I know he's going to open the floodgates of mercy and revive and refresh my heart. And she wanted to go to a little literal river to experience that most important river. God is in the midst of his city, and a gorgeous river flows from it. And the river is Christ and all that he has for you, friends. Well, in verses 8 to 11, we see that God is over the earth. You see, this moves from the personal <clears throat> out to the international and all the cosmic issues as it surveys God's reign out there, but then it brings it back to you and me here. Hear the invitation, come behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. It is he, it is God who breaks the instruments of battle, burning the chariots with fire. And so to the tumult in nature, but even more to the tumult in human nature, all of our raging, all of our fights, all of our disarray, God says, be still. And know that I am God. He says, silence. 
Now again, come to the New Testament and consider that Jesus was asleep in the boat with his disciples. And they awoke him on the Sea of Galilee as the, the sea was stirring up into a cauldron and a desert storm. And they shouted out, don't you care that we are perishing? And we're told, yes, he cares, because he is this Lord from Psalm 46, our ever-present help in struggle and in trouble. This Lord of hosts, which means Lord of armies, rebukes the raging waters. He says, peace, be still. And we're told all was quiet. The wind ceased and chaos turned into calm. This is all imagery from Psalm 46. And it is reminding us that Jesus is the one who is Lord over everything and he is in our midst. And he speaks his peace to us when we are worried and we're anxious. It's been said that anxiety could be defined as feelings of uneasiness or foreboding, that something harmful is going to happen without the offsetting confidence that we are secure in God no matter what. And so this is giving us this, that offsetting confidence. It is saying, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. It is saying, like Hezekiah, lay it out. <laughs> lay out. It's maybe literally a letter that you need to lay out or an email. And put that before the Lord. Spread out, spread out your worries. Is it cancer that you're facing? then be still and know that this God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is with you. Is it a breakup or the fraying of a, a relationship that, that's breaking your heart? Then be at peace and know that Christ is God. Is it the death of a loved one, the death of our oldest church member? Know that Christ cares and he has conquered death. Are you worried about wars and rumors of wars? Know that God is not threatened by menacing dictators and he will finally silence all the rage that is in this earth. Now again, let's bring it back, some of the imagery that we've talked about to Jesus when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Roman soldiers came upon him, uh, we're told that one of the disciples, Peter, <laughs> took out his sword, his shorter sword, to cut off the ear of one of the soldiers, which he did. But Jesus responded this way, put your sword back. Now think of Hezekiah's prayer and how God responded, sending one angel to wipe out 185,000 enemies of God's people. Jesus says, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands, 
of the armies of heaven. But Jesus didn't do that, of course. Instead, the Lord of armies, friends, he laid down his arms on the cross for us who tend to tremble when the seas and when life rage unpredictably. I do that, and I need him. He sacrificed himself for us so that we would be not just temporarily uh, temporarily secure, but eternally secure forever. That's what our songs have been about today. He rose to conquer chaos. He was exalted so that the rivers of life and joy and gladness would flow from us now, would flow from us who would otherwise dry up forever. And so we say as we sang, O Jesus, I will hide in you. I will hide in you as my shelter. And so this psalm circles all the way back to where it started. The God of Jacob is is our wonderful shelter, but he's also with military imagery. He is our fortress, the one who shelters us from the bombs and the onslaughts and the devastation of life. And sometimes that's literal, of course, for people around the world. Tim Keller, who, as many of you know, is dealing with pancreatic cancer, reflecting on this passage, prayed it and said it this way, though earthquakes and tidal waves dissolve the solid world and civilizations melt, Christ's rule is unshaken. And if this God, the only God, is with you, then even the worst thing that happens to you, which is death, this only makes you infinitely happier and greater. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And that by this one little word, as Martin Luther penned the great hymn, we shall fell Satan. And we can stand against um, the chaos of life, those things that threaten to undo us. God, sometimes as we live in this world, it is literally the unstable physical world in which we live. Earthquakes, storms that, that ruin people's houses and, and lives. But God, it is also the, the things that those storms and earthquakes symbolize. And so I pray for each and every person today as we are here amidst very peaceful weather and climate, it doesn't always mean that our hearts are that way. So God, I pray that for each and every person here, whether it's worry or depression or discouragement over a broken, straining relationship or the sadness that is felt at the loss of a loved one. And we're dealing with that as a congregation. Father, I pray that underneath those things there would be a more powerful sense of the security that we have in Jesus. We thank you that he is our shelter and our fortress and that he dwells in our midst. 
and that he says to the storms of our lives, peace, be still, quiet. And that he says to our souls, be at peace and be glad. We thank you that he is the river of life and from us flow gladness and joy and hope and peace in this very topsy-turvy and chaotic world. God, as we go to the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would feed us and nourish us and strengthen us to stand strong, especially when we feel weak. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.